The reading is taken from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8 and 23 to 33. Cornelius calls for Peter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and the devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objections. May I ask, why have you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is the guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives 
by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Loving Lord, we thank you that you are the source of love and life. Thank you for Jesus, your living word, and we thank you for your word today. May it be a light to our paths and a lamp to our feet. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks again. It's, it's really lovely uh, to be with you today. Thank you, Jonathan, uh, for the invitation. Um, just picking up a little bit of what, what we were sharing in that uh, sort of conversation earlier on, just under three years ago, as I was interviewed to, for the post of Archdeacon Missioner here, uh, part of that process was uh, to present uh, something on the theme, to, the title was Towards an Integrated Strategy for Church Planting in the Diocese of Coventry. I gave a picture just imagining the, the motor industry heritage of Coventry, imagining a rebirth of that. Many styles of car, but a, perhaps a common designer and a common engine under the hood, giving a sense of a kind of mixed ecology of different uh, church communities of different sizes and places and traditions. And uh, for me, a, a sort of hub uh, was part of, the, uh, part of that strategy um, to perhaps make and resource some of that happening. Hubs are essentials for a, a wheel to work, both the inner workings, but also the outer connections. A little bit of a, a picture, you might say, of the body of Christ as well, bringing different gifts and abilities, but all working together uh, for the, the one God in our mission. When you uh, use words like uh, church planting or resource church or hubs, you get all sorts of different reactions and all sorts of different people. This is why we call Mission Hub Churches hub churches and not resource churches because we have a resource church and uh, we get lots of dialogue about that. So we said, let's, let's call them Mission Hub Churches. But when you talk about planting too, people have different reactions to it. But there's a little bit of an amnesia in the Church of England about church planting. We are a, a church who have... have are a church planting organisation. We've always done it. Uh, we forgot that we did it. Uh, at some part of our history, we actually discouraged it and, and actually uh, disciplined people for doing it. But now we're rediscovering, thank God, that, that to reach new people, we need to plant new congregations. And all the, all the research gives evidence to that. And that's not about um, doing away with the parishes, this movement that saved the parish. It's about serving our parishes uh, to enable our parishes to, to, to bring life of the gospel in new ways to our communities. 
We know that the, the pandemic has been tough. There was a sense that we should just sort of put this stuff on the shelf for now. But the bishop has said that as, when I went to him early in the pandemic, should we stop bishop? He said, no, we need to carry on. The pandemic's been tough, but, but through it, God has been speaking up and down the land. Not just to, uh, in the same way as he did to Cornelius, but to countless people. And as we emerge into this new season, we've got a distinct or unique opportunity with a, a, a receptivity to the hope of Christ that has not presented itself for generations. When we gathered here in June for the sort of inaugural meeting of the potential uh, hub church leaders, I gave a, a prophetic picture of a, a water table that, in a sense, that was really low, that perhaps has now risen. Uh, and part of our, our work together is, see, when the water table raises, gets higher and it starts coming above the surface, that activity of the Spirit and being able to identify that and join in with that. So we're birthing a new community, a new movement in our diocese, and I'm really humbled that uh, we're working with uh, churches like your own uh, to, to, to be on this adventure of faith together, but to be led by the guidance and the wisdom of the Spirit of God. We can have good plans and strategies, but we, we want it to be God's vision uh, and driven by uh, our leaning into God, and, and prayer obviously is so uh, important uh, to this. Um, can we have our next slide, please? One of my uh, favourite family films, or series of family films, is, is Toy Story, um, particularly Buzz, Light, Buzz Lightyear's mission statement, To Infinity and Beyond. And we are, are agents together in God's mission. Um, he is the infinite one, though, isn't he? The one who invites us, goes ahead of us, and yet alongside us in the great commission of Jesus, in which we all share in, and we serve and share with those around us. But as we, serve, as we serve others around us in mission, so often the church omits Christ. We forget, we, we do the showing by our serving, but we forget to tell, somehow expecting that people will kind of magically know about Jesus. Well, prophetically that's happening, but we as the church also need to tell people about Jesus. Mission is seeing what God is doing and, doing and joining in, but we have a role to play in that as his agents. Emil, Emil Brunner, the Swiss theologian, said that the church exists by mission just as fire exists by burning. So we're invited to, to rediscover or reimagine what our part in God's mission can look like over the coming years in this diocese. For me, that's uh, incredibly exciting as we grow this new network for mission across the diocese. In a sense, we might say it's a bit of a kairos moment for the church, a particular point in time when we can sense God's activity, perhaps in a way we haven't before, a perfect moment of God's timing. A new initiative, yes, but hopefully God's initiative to reach new people in new places in different parts of our communities. Cornelius's vision, followed by Peter's vision, was a, a kairos moment which resulted in a new worshipping community being birthed. We see that the Holy Spirit was at work in Cornelius's life, even though he's not yet aware of who Jesus is. 
but he's about to find out. But that can only take place if Peter responds to the work of God in his life as well. Can we have our next slide, please? When we read through the book of Acts, it reads a bit like a travelogue of mission and church planting across the then known world. We see the activity of the Holy Spirit at work in the disciples and the church planters as these new worshipping communities are formed. The particular story we have today is a bit like going back to Toy Story. Remember that 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 sort of toy grabber comes down with the two pincers to grab the little alien figure. It's like both sides of the pincer have to operate and grab at the exact same time. And that's what we see, the outworking of the Holy Spirit here. But it, it, it it relies on that response of individuals to the prompting of the Spirit. We see how the outworking of the gospel message moves outwards from Jerusalem as if a stone was dropped in a a pond or or a lake. The ripples of the, the, the mission of God start to emanate from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and beyond. And in this story, it's like the, uh, well, Caesarea is is in Judea. It's like the ripple is starting um, to move out in this story. Our next slide, please. So God, first of all, God is at work in Cornelius and in Caesarea. Cornelius was a Roman officer, as we heard from the Italian regiment leaving in Caesarea. Caesarea was a, was a sea, uh, seaside place. It had a, a great harbour and it was a, a kind of Roman kind of administrative centre, 30 miles north of Joppa, where, where Peter was living. Incidentally, Peter was living in the house of a tanner, who would have been ritually, uh, ceremonially impure. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? We know that that Cornelius was a God-fearer. There was a a spiritual spiritual depth to his life. He was serving others. He was perhaps attracted to the monotheism of the Jewish faith and their moral and ethical way of life. As we look around our community, we see lots of people that, that don't describe themselves as Christian but we, we always see elements of the grace of God at work in their lives through the way they serve. They, they describe themselves as spiritual. So we wonder what the Spirit of God might be awakening within them. God's grace is at work and God takes the initiative. And Cornelius sees the angel of the Lord and he receives this message. Interestingly, Cornelius, in his prayer, makes a prompt and obedient response in sending two servants, one who we, we learn is a devout soldier. So we've, we've already seen the effect of Cornelius's uh, ministry, if you like, in his own household and those he, he leads. So as we think about Cornelius and, and, the, and the, the effect of God's Spirit in him before he becomes a Christian, we might ask ourselves, who do we know? And what, as we think about hubs growing, where are those places where the Lord is at work? How do we notice them? Cornelius was a person of peace, warm towards God and God's people. Who are our people of peace? That's what we're looking for as we do this work and build our flight plan together. And then interestingly, God is also at work in Peter in Joppa. Hot-headed Peter, 
who had deserted and denied the Lord is a very different animal now. Before all this, he'd been given the keys to the kingdom. And we see a very different Peter at Pentecost, bold, courageous, in a newfound confidence in the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. The church's birth and, and the beginning of religious and ethnic and cultural, social and gender barriers are broken down as, as Peter, if you like, starts to unlock, use the keys of the kingdom on the day of Pentecost. And we see this now, this sort of unlocking as the mission of God continues with this ministry to Caesarea. But the Lord has to take Peter on an important step of this journey, both with his character and his call. And we read that the day after Cornelius' vision, Peter too has a vision from God. He's on the roof of the building. Perhaps the sheet that he sees is a sail uh, out of a, uh, you know, a boat out of the sea. But he sees this vision and it's an alarming vision of all the things that are a mixture of things that are clean foods for Jews and a mixture of things that are completely abhorrent. Uh, a bit like a sort of, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, smorgasbord of all sorts of horrible things. And he's aghast because he's taken outside of his comfort zone. He's confronted, he's offended. But God says, don't call the things unclean that I have made or called clean. Peter is confused because he's undergoing a kind of massive paradigm shift in his thinking. He's connecting with what the vision of God has always been, that the Gentiles would be a light to the nation. So much is Peter confused by this, that God has to give him the vision three times. I don't know if you're feeling that when you're sort of praying you know, I think I'm a bit dense sometimes I think God needs to make an, a point several times for me before I act on something God makes it clear uh, to Peter what the mission is about going into the, the places that were seen to be unclean or uncomfortable places and Peter is just trying to unpack all this still in prayer before the Lord when he hears the, the knock at the door. Of course, that's uh, the, the, uh, the contingency sent uh, from Caesarea. The Spirit uh, confirms in, in Peter's heart to, to go. And I, I love this, this word where it says, don't, don't hesitate. He wasn't, given, he wasn't given the detail of, of what Cornelius' vision was. But we wouldn't know that until he arrived in Caesarea. But the Lord says to him, don't hesitate. But he invites an act of faith. Interestingly, that Joppa was the place where Jonah was, where Jonah was invited by the Lord to go to Nineveh. Jonah hesitated and backtracked from that call. And perhaps there's a significance here for Peter. Don't, Peter, don't, don't be a Jonah of Joppa. Don't hesitate in, in what I'm asking you to do. And I think there's something of, of a message for us in the church. We, we, ha, we, 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 we take on a, a real sense of hesitancy in all we do. And that, that's different to being discerning and waiting. But perhaps we need to recover something of confidence to, to go where the Lord is calling us to go. Let's not, us, let's not be Jonah's 
uh, of Joppa, perhaps. So Peter goes, uh, goes to Caesarea. Can we have our next slide, please? He takes a team with him. Uh, we read later on in Acts, in chapter 11, he takes six, six people with him. It's good that we don't do this on our own. God's shaping and God is going to shape teams to, to, to do this resourcing work and planting work. We're not in this on our own. God will, will draw those people around us. So after the exchange on the doorstep, it's interesting how Peter invites those who were at that point seen as unclean over the threshold and he will do the same in Cornelius' home, wherein Cornelius invites him over the threshold. The keys of the kingdom are opening something up in a new way. So Cornelius arrives in, so uh, Peter arrives in Caesarea and is welcomed into the home of Cornelius. The reaction of Cornelius is to bow at his feet. And, and Peter says, no, you, you don't need to do that. I am just like you. God has shown me that God is not partial. God has no favourites. As Bruce Forsyth used to say, we're, we're everybody's favourite. Peter begins to speak. Interestingly, that we, we read in Acts that there's a large gathering already. So Cornelius has acted in faith. The influence of Cornelius is, is evident. So there's a large group of people gathering in his home. We see the Kairos moment, that, that sort of divine sort of pincer movement coming together. And we know that, we've, yes, we've read this in a few short passages, but we know that there is a, there is a history to this mission takes time. Relationships and trust need to be built to arrive at a Kairos moment. Peter then uh, begins to speak without hesitation. And there's, a, there's an inference in the translation here that, that actually Peter is about to bring something of weight, of significance, of great importance to those who are gathered. And brings me back to the earlier point that I made, that, that we must, when we build relationships with people, when we serve them, when we help to feed people physically, we are missing out a key part of our mission if we don't then feed them with, with the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. So Peter begins to speak and he unpacks the good news of Christ. Human voices are needed to be the people of God and the mission of God. We need to speak and to share. And, and part of that for us, I think, as we grow and what we're looking to in our hub church is to, is to regain a confidence in being able to share something of our faith stories with those we connect with in this new season. Paul says later on in Romans, how can they receive Christ if they have not heard. So there is something important about being able to share the message. Particularly in this missionary age. So many people are warm spiritually but have yet to hear about Jesus. So even interestingly as Peter begins to speak 
the Holy Spirit takes over. Peter hasn't finished his sermon and the Holy Spirit comes and, and people come to faith. It's evident to Peter because he stops. Uh, it's good to, as a preacher to know when to shut up. I'm not always good at that. But Peter knows when to stop because he can see the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, can anyone keep these people from being baptised? There's praise released. People are speaking in different tongues. And they're baptised in the name of Jesus. A new worshipping community is birth. We see it in an instant, but we realise that it's taken lots of activity, lots of relationship building, but also the obedience of two people listening to the Spirit of God. So what's our... Next slide, please. What's our response in all this? Well, that, that slide, I don't think you can see too much. It's, it's a little bit small on there, but it, it's just a picture of, of what we're looking to do in partnership with our hub churches. And, and God might be calling you to have a particular role as a member of this church, as part of the ministry of being a hub church. Um, whether it's going with a team to help uh, enable something or to share your faith, or to perhaps if you, if you live in one of the outlying villages and yet you want to resource the renewal of, of life and faith in your village church, you could be part of that. We don't know. And, and, and the idea of, of our strategy is not to be prescriptive in any way but to work with our partners in mission in this new way and see where the Spirit is leading. And then secondly, our last slide, please, is asking God, God, who are you drawing me to? Who is the Cornelius in my network, in my office, in the other places where I do life? Can you help me to see with fresh eyes, perhaps, perhaps some of the biases I've had before? Not intentionally, but, but, but just perhaps where my paradigm needs to shift. Perhaps we can ask the Lord to help us to be more prepared to go where he's leading us. It might be just something here locally in this church family. It might be elsewhere, but a bit, bit of preparedness to play our part. And also to, to deepen our own prayer life. This, this initiative will, 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 will falter and run into sticky ground if, if it is not birthed and held continually in prayer by the whole people of God. We see both Peter praying, Cornelius praying. We're called to be a people of prayer. And when you read through all the revivals down the ages, we see that the prayer is at the heart of those movements. And perhaps we need, if we're feeling hesitant about our faith or our, our part in God's mission, perhaps we can pray into that. Perhaps we can find someone who will mentor us or, or, or just in, be an encourager for us. Can we encourage others? Ask God, where are the new thresholds in mission that, that he's showing us together in this partnership? Brothers and sisters, we're on an exciting journey together. This is a new adventure of faith, working with our diocesan family in a new way. But we travel, don't we? We travel together with the one who enables the impossible to become possible, who calls the things that are not as though they are, and the one who is able to do more than we can think of or imagine. Amen. 
Let's uh, be still uh, for a moment, shall we? It's your practice here to stand as we wait on the Lord or sit, however you feel most comfortable. But let's just invite the Holy Spirit to have that sense of, of alighting on each one of us. Fresh wind and breath and fire of the Spirit. Spirit, would you come and and, and bring blessing on this church family? Spirit, where there is a a sense of hesitancy in in any aspect of our life, Lord, as as we think about our, our, our spiritual journey, our relationship with you. Bring confidence and affirmation. Confirm within us, Lord, your love for us, your delight over us. And Lord, just as um, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his household all those years ago, would you continue to birth things in our lives, Lord, things of you. Release fresh gifts, Lord, on your church, on your people. Even now, Lord, this morning as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing the song Oceans about God calling us out. And Lord, as, as we sing, continue to pour your spirit down. Thank you for that encouragement that you are at work well beyond what we can see at the moment. And in people that we have no idea what you're doing. Give us eyes to see what you're doing, ears to hear, and courage to go where you lead. So continue to fall by your spirit as we sing. Thank you, Lord.